If you have a Bible, we'll go to Ephesians chapter 4. Get there in just a second. Um, how many of you make lists? Do you have any lists? Let's just keep... Wow, there's a lot of us. Okay. <clears throat> how many of you don't make lists? Yeah, okay. You're less productive. But, um, <laughs> you know, the truth is I think all of us make lists. And I want to talk about a particular type of list that so many of us make. You see, I think lots of us play games and create lists of all the things that we failed at. We have lists in our mind and our hearts of our regrets, of our failures, of moments of humiliation, the things that we we tried or didn't try, the things that we missed out on. And we play these games in our head. And maybe you're like me. And the list that you have looks something like this. Go to that slide for me, Brandon, if you would. Um, Oh, that's not what I was thinking, but um, go to the first, before the list, go to that slide that says, you, you play these games and it looks like this, I am not blank enough. I'll just speak from my experience. And so there's a list that you can create, I am not <clears throat> smart enough, I'm not talented enough, I'm not good looking enough, I'm not good enough, I'm not educated enough, I'm too old or too young or whatever it is, I'm not successful enough, I'm not thin enough. And we create these lists in our lives of all the things that we're not. Would you agree? I mean, some of us do. Or we will begin to play a different type of list game. It's the comparison game, you know, where we have those particular people in our life that we compare our lives to, whether it's a sibling, uh, an in-law of some sort, a brother or sister-in-law, a friend. It's that that friend of yours who's got like the perfect life. She doesn't have to work. She's got perfect kids that are never upset ever. They sleep all the time. They have tons of money. They travel. Uh, that friend of yours that has the job, got the job at the same time that you did, but he's, he's further along in his career. He's got a nicer car, a bigger house. He, he has the right relationships. We, we compare our, our lives to various people. And we, what I've seen over the years is that, in my own experience, is that we spend endless amounts of energy and time and resources uh, and thinking about who we aren't and what we aren't, don't we? We live out of who we aren't and we're driven by what we aren't. And the truth about this is that list and the comparison and all the things that we aren't, that's not interesting. It's not interesting. What you haven't done isn't interesting. What you haven't accomplished isn't interesting. What you haven't been, where you haven't been, all those things, they're not interesting. And so the point I want to make today is who you aren't isn't interesting. Can you just say that? Who you aren't isn't interesting. Because I also believe that we all have distorted views of who we actually are. We all have distorted views of who we actually are. My story, I spent the first three to four years of church planning thinking that I wasn't good enough to do it. I wasn't smart enough. I wasn't a teacher. I I, I wasn't going to succeed. I was already a failure. I believe that the way I had to live my life was to prove that I was those things to everyone else. So I, I lived out of who I wasn't or who I thought I wasn't rather than who I was, because the truth is, even if I wasn't a good teacher, even if I wasn't smart enough, even if I was too young or not educated enough, it didn't matter. Even if all those things were true, God called me to do it. Right? 
But, but that's just, you know, that's just church planning. But I've also experienced some other things. You know, I, I believed in my life, I spent most of my life, I'm 30 years old, I spent most of my life believing I wasn't good enough. I wasn't attractive, I wasn't smart, I had no value. I, I lived my life based on what other people said and thought about me. I, my identity was wrapped around um, the value, my value was based on what other people thought of me. I mean, no one else is like this, right? <clears throat> my value in life came from what others thought. So I designed my life around making sure everyone else was happy and pleased with me. I was frantically driven to please people, to make sure that I had their validation, that their words were, you're good enough, you're smart enough. Oh, that was a great sermon, Pastor. I literally survived week to week based on the affirmations and validations of other people, and I received my identity from all of those things. And I'm speaking as a pastor. Now, just imagine if you weren't a pastor. Oh, okay, good. So that's easy. <coughs> we do this all the time. But then I, I bring it into my relationship with God and I came, I, I came to faith thinking, I'm not good enough to be Christian. I have to read more of the Bible. If I didn't read the Bible in the morning, God wasn't gonna hear my prayers in the afternoon when it said, God, find me a wife when I was single or whatever it was. I had this game that I had to, I had to do more works. I had to sacrifice more than 10%. I had to strive to receive uh, my worthiness for God just to receive his love. I have to do all these things because I had a distorted view of who I was. I, I, I did it in the church. I did it for everyone else. I did it with friends and family members. I did it with God because we, we all have a distorted view of who we actually are. I believe that with all my heart. I believe that I had to work harder to please people, do more to find myself becoming loved or lovable. And, and I didn't want to make people unhappy. I became exhausted. I felt like a failure. I was living out of a false identity. My identity was based on what people thought. And the truth is I learned that who you aren't isn't interesting. And I believed that I, I came to understand that who you aren't isn't interesting, but who you are is truly amazing. And that our truest identity is found in what God thinks and says of us. And from that place, we discover beauty, purpose, and true life. And this series is about that. It's about recognizing and learning how to see what God sees in us, what God says about us, and allowing that perspective to shape the rest of our life. Because we have to talk about who we are in order to learn to live out of that place. Are you with me? Are we, are we sure? <clears throat> so who you are isn't interesting, but who you are is truly amazing. I want to talk about who we are today. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, um, you can grab one. There's some in the back and some in the front. If you don't have a Bible at home, take one of our Bibles. They're our gifts to you. We would love for everyone to have a Bible or, you know, read it on your phone app, whatever you want. So if you have the written word, you... <clears throat> I can't say you're more worthy because that would just completely, you know, ruin this whole sermon. <laughs> Verse 1 of chapter 4. I'm going to start here, make a point, and then we're going to talk about something else. It says this. So we're talking about our identity. Paul says this. He's writing to the church. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Okay. So this is Paul. 
book of Ephesians, two parts. Part one, what God did for you. Part two, what you are to do in view of what God did for you. It's a response to what God has done. The whole book hinges on this verse. It transitions from what God has done for you to what are we supposed to do now in view of that. And it's all in this verse. He does this in Philippians and Colossians. He does this all over the place. He does it in Romans. Um, It's called the indicative and the imperative. Anyways, excuse me, I'm getting over a cold. But he says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. It's past tense. Now this is what we have to understand if we're gonna talk about identity. All throughout the scripture, Paul will write to a church talking about something they already are or they've already received. It's a, a brilliant uh, word. It's going to make me sound way more intelligent than I really am. The, word, the, the idea is called eschatological realism. Okay? Eschatological, the study of the end times. So we're, we're, God is taking us somewhere. Salvation is for the world. God is renewing all things. Jesus died on the cross, but it's for the reconciliation of all things. The whole, the whole earth and all the cosmos will be renewed in Christ according to the scriptures. That's where this whole thing's headed. But we're living here today, now at Franklin Middle School. And Paul says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. In other words, G- Paul is saying, you are being pulled into your future. You are being, you are being uh, uh, led into this new identity. In other words, I want you to be who you already are. I want you to think about this for a second. He's saying the church and our identity as Christians, we are becoming who we already are. We are becoming who we already are. This is so important for us to understand because when Paul writes to a community uh, about challenging the characteristics they have, their selfishness, their pride, their judgment, their arrogance, their backbiting, um, their greed, you know what Paul does? He doesn't first say, okay, here's a list of to-dos. What he does is he simply says, this is who you are. Now act like it. This is so revolutionary to what it means to follow Jesus and be a, a Christian. Um, best way to illustrate it, and maybe you've heard this before, but when I was 22 years old, I got married to Alex. And um, for the previous 22 years, I at one point hit puberty and at one point learned, basically spent my entire life r- learning how to live as a single masculine dude. Okay, so for 22 years of my life, I basically learned how not to be a husband. Um, so, you know, and that, that, I mean, every aspect of my life was based on singleness, okay? And when you get married, or if you ever get married, you'll understand this. But basically, like, from everything, from where I, I spent my money, how I spent my money, that was based on a single man's um, mindset. I was 22, so you had, like, multiple roommates, four roommates. So rent was cheap. Um, it was, money was spent on, on various things, like movie Star Wars is coming out 2016 or 2015, Okay, I'm just going to keep saying that. They released a new trailer, new Star Wars. Okay. <coughs> you spent on movies. You spent on, and the type of movie as a single man changes. Okay? I just got to say that. You sacrifice when you're dating, but deep inside, you know you're dying to yourself. But anyways, <coughs> you get, <laughs> where you spend your money, conversations with the people you live with. Hey, how was work? It was good. Cool. Keep going. Um, uh, laundry. I mean, you never, if you were a dude, you never washed your sheets. I mean, twice a month or twice a year, maybe, you'd wash your sheets. Yeah, okay. <coughs> okay, we got some, let's just, let's just be comfortable here. Um, like, in laundry, it was like, 
the clean pile, the I could wear it again pile, and the dirty pile, we definitely need to wash, which will happen eventually someday down the road. Um, and that, that's a whole other experience. Um, showers for me, I'm just going to confess because I've already confessed enough. I was a surfer, so I thought shower equals sh- uh, or surfing equals shower. <laughs> the ocean is a nat- natural exfoliant. And hygiene is subjective, right? So it's not... Uh, anyways, so this is all stuff about the single life that I experienced. Um, toilet paper, putting on the roll. If you had a roll, it didn't really matter. The type of toilet paper was the cheapest. Making the bed, what was the point of making the bed? Food, diet. I'm 20-something years old. I had a metabolism like a, like, you know, a gazelle. And so I was just skinny. <coughs> I could eat hamburger helper and fast food all day long. But then... Um, something happens. Now, in the dating phase, obviously, things begin to change, but I remember standing there, 22 years old, which I can't believe I was that young. Alex is 21. Um, I would never let a 22-year-old get married, just so you know. (coughs) All of our family and friends standing out there. I'm standing before Bill Doctrum, our other co-teacher. He married us. He officiated our wedding, and he says, uh, husband and wife. He pronounces us husband. Now, um, did I have any idea what it meant to be a husband at that point? No, I didn't. With all the books I read and the premarital counseling, I had no idea what the heck I was, I was embarking on. In fact, um, I, if, if anything, the last, the 22 years previous to that experience had prepared me for not being married, but prepared me for a single life. But this became a new identity. I became a husband, and I have now been spending the rest of my life figuring out how to be a good husband. So slowly things begin to change, like how we dealt with our finances. Because now there's another person that I have to have a conversation about whether I buy the jogger pants or not, because there's some other things like baby food that are more important than style, right? You know what I'm saying? And then, or the movies that you watch on date night, you're not going to be watching Star Wars for someone who can't stand sci-fi, which is, I think, the thorn in my flesh, but um, (laughs) just kidding. But you learn to love what the other person loves in conversations. My wife loves a good conversation, and she has taught me how to, how to ask good questions and how to be aware of other people, and she's challenged my pride and my character. She's challenged my de- de- decision-making and my hygiene and all those things. <coughs> but, but that's the point. Now, dishes get done. You buy different types of toilet paper and different types of dish soap, and you cook different types of meal, and I do all these things. I, I rub her feet, not because I have to earn Not because I have to earn it, but because I am it, right? And so there's a quote, there's a something here. Our covenant means I can imperfectly live in my marriage and learn how to be what is truest about me. I'm a husband. I learn how to be, it says I'm not a husband. Well, I don't know whose fault that was, but <laughs> it was probably my wife's, right? So just <laughs> This woman, you gave me the first thing that Adam says to God, uh, to God when he's like, when they sin is, this woman, it's her fault. And we've been saying it ever since. And this is the invitation. I do this stuff be, um I don't do this stuff to be a husband. I do this because I am a husband. Does that make sense? Who we are becoming flows out of who we already are. This is what's truest about us. In Ephesians, 
I just want to make one more point before we jump in. Um, in Ephesians, there's a list, and I love this list, a list of all the things we are not in Christ. Or when we're without Christ, we're these things. Dead in our transgressions and sins, followers, we follow the ways of the world, ruled by the ruler of the kingdom of the world, enslaved to our cravings and the desires of our sinful nature. Can we just say amen to that? Like, we, are we not driven by our cravings of our sinful flesh and, and sinful nature? Okay, are we, I mean, maybe so, have you guys been way more sanctified than I am? Yes, we're driven by all this stuff. We're objects of wrath. We're, in, uh, we're separated from Christ. Listen to this, we're excluded. We're foreigners of the covenant and promise. We're without hope, without God, and we're far away. That's what life is like without Jesus, according to the scriptures. But this is what Paul says when we say yes to Jesus, and we come to the saving reality that he is Lord and resurrected from the dead. We are blessed with every spiritual blessing. We are chosen before the creation of the world. We are holy and blameless, adopted as sons and daughters. We are redeemed. We are forgiven. We are included. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. We are recipients of God's lavish grace. I love that. God's lavish grace. We're recipients of God's glorious inheritance. We're made alive with Christ. We're saved we're God's workmanship. We're part of a new humanity. We're fellow citizens, members of the household, and building blocks of God's temple. Amen. Look to the person next to you. Do they look like potential for building blocks of the temple? Absolutely not. No. Especially some of the people over here. <coughs> but that's the good news. How can this be true? How many of you feel holy or blameless? I don't. How many of you think that that could be true, that the person actually sitting next to you, if they've said yes to Jesus, are part of the new humanity? They're God's workmanship, God's work of art. But this is true. And this is the truest thing about you. That apart from Christ, you're nothing, and in Christ, you're everything, because Jesus is everything. And this is the point I want to make today, that simple point. So let's just look at some of the words that describe who we are. Over the next four weeks, we're going to look at um, what, what Ephesians calls us. It says that we are saints. We are works of art. We are God's temple. And we are all artists. We're going to look at those four concepts found in Ephesians over the next four weeks. But I want to just, I want to just show you this one because this is so important from the beginning as we talk about those of us that have said yes to Jesus recently on Easter, we had so many people raise their hands to commit their lives to Jesus. Well over 40-something people, baptized I think 10 people. It's amazing. So this is, the series is designed to look at who we are in Jesus. And what is most important is what is truest about you. And that's what God says about you. So Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, um, it says, As Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and check this out, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Holy people. Circle that real quick. And then uh, if you have a Bible in, that has pages, flip over to Romans chapter 1. I'm just going to do this real quick. It's not going to be on the screen because um, I wanted us to do a little thumb workout. Romans chapter 1, it's to the left. Paul writes to the church in Rome. And in verse 7 of chapter 1, he says, To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. Go to the right to 1 Corinthians. See if you can keep up with me. I get paid for this. Just kidding. Um, that was a joke. I don't. 
I don't. Verse 2, it says, To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ and called to be his what? Holy people. Keep, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Is anyone else doing this? Push the button. You're scrolling, dude. Whatever. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, to the church of God in Corinth, together with all his what? Holy people. Um, we go to Ephesians, skip to Philippians. I just want to show you all of the places that Paul says this. To, uh, verse 1, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus. And then Colossians, it says, to God's holy people in Colossae. Do you see what Paul's doing here? Paul is referring to those 10 to 30 people gathering in homes all throughout the Roman Empire and using the specific word to describe who they are. And the word in Greek is a great word, and it's hagioi. Hagioi. Let's say it out loud. Thank you. learned a Greek word today. Hagioi is a beautiful word. It means pure, holy, set apart, blameless, saints. It means clean, purged, power washed from the inside out. You are sacred. When you open yourself to Jesus, you accept the new reality of who you are. You are no longer defined by what you think. You are no longer defined by what you've done. You are no longer defined by what people have said about you. You are no longer defined about what you think you have to do. You are no longer defined by anything else other than what Jesus says about you. And he says you are holy, blameless, set apart. You are all saints. This is what the New Testament calls the church. There is no place in the New Testament that calls Christians sinners. We sin, but our identity is no longer defined by the sin we once did and still do. The word saint means holy one. It refers to those that are in Jesus and their fundamental identity has been changed from an old life to a new life that's hidden in Jesus Christ. This is the truest thing about you. Now stick with me as I make a couple of points. It will land very practically. I love what Thomas Merton says about this. He says this. And this is going to cause some of you to think really hard. For me, because it did for me. For me, but I'm not as smart as so many of you. So anyways, for me, to be a saint means to be myself. Therefore, the problem of sanctity and salvation, salvation is in fact the problem of finding out who I am, and discovering my true self. See, here's the point he's making. Your true self is only found in Jesus. That the truest thing about you is that you are set apart and holy because of Christ. Paul says it in another way in Colossians chapter three. Please go there because it's so important that we read this together. Colossians three, verse one. We're doing a Bible study right now. How many of you got your Bibles? Let's, let's hold them up. Let's see it. I didn't say light up the sky. <laughs> Verse one, since, he's writing to the church. This is fun. I missed you guys. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above. Non-earthly things, listen to this, this is so good. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, 
whatever belongs to our earthly nature, sexual morality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. So Paul is writing to the church, and he's basically describing new creation. You're and this is what he says. I love this. He's talking about your past, your present, and your future. And listen to what he says about your past. You died. Your past is dead with Jesus on the cross. All of your sinful behavior, your, the, the lust, the pride, the arrogance, the selfishness, the deceitfulness, the lies, the, the manipulation, the, self, the self-doubt, the insecurity, all that self-hatred is dead with Jesus on the cross. And your current life, that which you're living right now, Well, that is hidden in Christ with all of God. So I have no idea how to describe this other than imagine like a Tupperware box with another Tupperware box and another Tupperware box and another Tupperware box or box inside a box inside a box because what Paul is saying is your current life is hidden in Jesus and that's hidden in the Trinity. That's good news? And then when when Christ, who is your life, appears in the future, you will appear with him in glory. Now, I don't have the foggiest idea what this whole thing means. I just have to tell you that. I really don't. I was like reading all these books. All all it means is simply this. You no longer have biblical justification to call yourself a sinner. If you say yes to Jesus, you no longer have biblical justification to call yourself a sinner. And that is so good. That who you are in Christ radically shapes everything else about you. Now, do we sin? Of course. Yes. All the time. But that no longer defines who we are or no longer defines our identity. And I wonder, I just wonder how many of us are, how many of us are allowing those lists we created that I talked about in the beginning, our past, all the junk, all the pain that we've caused other people or people have caused us, how many of us are allowing that to define our present reality when Paul says, actually, your present reality is hidden in Jesus Christ? Now, I know this is kind of just like conversation. It seems so, so, you know, out there. It seems theoretical, but the implications practically are profound. The implications practically are profound. So this is the invitation. The invitation then is to learn to put off anything that is not aligned with you being a saint. This is what Paul's after. It says, set your mind on things above and, and put to death the things of the flesh. So you are a saint so now be a saint. You are holy, pure, and blameless. Now live your life in such a way that reflects who you already are. Don't do the things that look like Jesus because you're earning your identity, but you are those things. He calls you these things like, I am a husband, and out of this truest identity, I begin to live my life in view of that. Do this with God in your everyday life. So set off anything, take off anything that doesn't look like Jesus. Anything that keeps you from living as holy and blameless and a saint. This is Paul's way of instructing Christians to live. In other words, hey, just be who you already are. Be who you already are. So this is what's so important is it begins with our identity. We must learn to accept who we really are and live out of that. Our past no longer has to define us. Our false identities no longer have to define us. The words that we've allowed to to be banners of, of identity in our life no longer have to define us. So for me, things that I've lived under, not being good enough, insecure, fear, uh, failure, uh, words like I'm a bad husband, 
I'm a bad father. I'm a bad son. Um, I'm unlovable. I'm not worthy. I'm selfish. I'm a failure. I'm full of lust and greed and anger. And I, I want power and control. These are words that I've, I've literally inherited throughout my life that I've just received and accepted. Even, even good things, identities that I've placed on myself. There are I, ways that I have found my identity in other things like being a pastor. How much worth do I get out of being a pastor or being successful, whatever that's defined by. Maybe it's your job that you've lived your life under. It's your calling, whatever that looks like. It's, it's your friendships. It's your relationships. It's you being a mom or a dad that you've received your identity from those things. Those are the words that have defined you. But when you get into the scriptures, when you look into the New Testament, every other place that you might want to find your identity for yourself is simply overshadowed by Jesus. Your sin, your work, your calling, your past, the successes, your school, your whatever it is that you want, your life is hidden with Christ. He becomes your new identity. And from that place, you learn to live out of what is ultimately true. And we can't learn to walk in true freedom until we understand our true identity, that we are being drawn and pulled and led into a new self. In Christ, We don't have to live out of the old ways anymore. We get to live as saints. Not because we have to, but because we are a saint. Are you with me? So in Christ, you are a saint. You are beloved. You are holy. You are worthy. You are good enough because Jesus is all these things. So that's who you are. Now, if you're like me, you're saying, great, but I don't feel that way. And I definitely don't know how to live that way. Is anyone else here like that? So I was thinking, how do, I, how do I bring this home practically? Well, here's, over the last 30 years, as I've, I've wrestled with identity issues. Here's what I've realized. Number one, you have to first accept this. You have to replace your old thoughts with new thoughts. And you have to simply accept this reality that in Jesus, this is what's truest of you. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to work for it. This is who you are. And if you are here and you've never said yes to Jesus, well, the first place for you to begin is simply to say yes to Jesus and make a public declaration that he is Lord and Savior. You don't have to fully know what that means, but when you say that, you learn, and then you start living your life after him, you'll see the patterns of this world, the patterns that have kept you from wholeness and truth will slowly change over time. And it's not easy. It's not once and for all. It takes time. It's hard work. It takes discipline. It takes community. It takes trying and failing. That's faith. Amen. Anyone else can attest to that? I can. So accept it. Number two, and this, I really feel this for our community. We have to take off the old self and put on a new self. So if our doing comes out of who we are, right, then we have to learn to stop doing the things that are no longer true of us, right? So for so many of us, there are patterns of behavior, I'm just going to call them sin, that we need to get rid of. And you know what they are. As soon as I say the word sin, you know what happens almost every single time? The Holy Spirit bubbles up within you conviction because the Spirit of God comes to convict us of our sins. Now, what do we do with that? We first recognize that the Spirit's speaking to us. That person that you were rude to, that time you said that thing to your wife or your spouse, that ongoing thing that you keep doing that you know you shouldn't be doing, but you're doing it. The, 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 maybe you're living with your girlfriend. Maybe you're, you're crossing the boundaries with your, your not yet wife or spouse. Whatever it is, you're drinking a little too much alcohol. You're looking on those websites which lead to something else, which leads to something else. Whatever that is, cut it out. 
because that's not who you are. And it's that simple. But we first come and say, God, thank you for revealing that to me. That's where it begins. Repentance is not something that's dark and full of despair. It's full of joy. Because God is directing our life into a place that's far greater than we could ever be on our own. So the, what I've learned over time is we have to accept it. The second, we have to, we have to work with God in, in taking things off. I have to take off the singleness that was once on me and put on the marriedness, right? Whatever that is. And that's hard work. I do not want to watch chick flicks or parenthood or army wives. Good Lord. Ha, <laughs> But I learned to love parenthood because I know I'll cry every single time. <laughs> At the last five minutes, it all comes together. Third thing is we have to surrender. So what I've seen is we can start by accepting it. We can, start, we can then move on to taking stuff off and working with God. But the third is really we have to surrender to God, our life. And that's, that's the hardest thing. So that's an intentional practice where we're constantly accepting and receiving our identity every single day. There was a season where I had to read Romans 8 all year round because I, my identity would be attacked. You know what? Jesus, when he's first tempted, what was attacked? His identity. He had just been baptized and the, the heavens opened up and says, uh, this is my son, the beloved. With you, I'm well pleased. And then he goes into the wilderness and what does the tempter say? If you are the son of God. Why? Because if we lose our identity, we will try to define ourselves by what we do and who we know and what others say about us, not what God has already said about us. So surrender that over and over. And last, and this is probably the most important for us today, is to name the lies. We have to call out specific lies we have surrendered to. I've been doing it all morning because it helps me remember. I am good enough. That whatever you think of me doesn't have anything compared to what he thinks of me. That I can literally fail this morning knowing that I'm pleasing the Father in heaven. That I have to call out, I have to name the lies. And so you know what I thought we could do together? Is the discipline of Sharpie. We're going to have some worship. <clears throat> and I have buckets around the room at each station. And I thought, you know what would be cool? Is if we would take off our shoes and go around and put, this isn't working very well on Nike, put on our souls the lives we've lived. For me, sinner, failure, not good enough, ugly. For those of you that know, like I had a season where I, was, I had so much self-hatred that I nearly killed myself in high school. And, and let's just put those lies on our feet. You know what it says in Romans 16? It says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. You know what Satan is referred to in the, in, throughout scripture? The father of lies. How many of us need to put the lies that we've been called, the lies we've lived in, lived in, the false identities on the bottom of our feet so that when we walk out of here, we remember that soon the God of peace will crush Satan under our feet. So let's stomp our way out of here as we go in our identity as saints. Amen? All right. Let's stand together. <clears throat> so, 
Here's what I do know. So we've got Sharpies. I got it on the bottom of my foot. Um, and as silly as this is, this is so serious, isn't it? I just want to, I want to invite you to come and, um, and respond in a very tangible way that you can walk out of here empowered with the, the statement that that's most true, that you are a saint. Um, we're going we're gonna to sing some songs. Um, as soon as I'm done praying, please just come forward, grab some pens. We also have a prayer ministry. Um, for those of you that are new to our church, you've been here a while. We've had some s- profound ministry happen when people respond to what God's doing and get prayer. Physical healing, emotional healing. Um, people are just encouraged more than anything when people come forward. They just experience God's love for them. But if you're here and what I'm talking about is so true about you, that you found your identity in other things and you're longing to really experience true freedom, I just want to invite you to come forward so we can pray and just remind you of who you are. Cool? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you call us saints, you call us holy, blameless, and pure. That because of you, we get to receive that inheritance. That despite whatever we do, we're good enough. We're lovable. Lord, I thank you that it's not a list of to-dos that we have to follow in order to get somewhere, but actually we already are it by accepting it. And we get to learn to pattern our life after you. So Holy Spirit, I just want to pray for the garden that you would be gracious to us as we prune the lies, as we call out the sin, and as we learn to walk in community as true beloved children of God. Lord, bless us this morning in your name. Amen.